Hi, this is Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries. Our conviction is that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. So our mission is to fill the minds of the people of God with the truth of God's Word. This particular podcast is called Church in Crisis, a pastor's thoughts on the coronavirus. Originally, this was just a collection of pastoral addresses that were specifically presented to the members of my local church. But under the prompting of other men and women that I trust, I've decided that perhaps this might be a benefit to the greater church at large. I hope that by God's grace, that proves to be the case. Listen now. All right, so once again, I want to provide a reasonable objection to what I've espoused in the, uh, the last couple of episodes. Um, I've done this once before, um, providing a, an opposing view uh, from the Scripture, those who would take the position that churches should not gather during this time. I, I just want to do it once more uh, because, uh, again, it's that fine line of persuasion versus a lack of charity. It's hard to be persuasive and just maintain the highest levels of charity um, that you could possibly maintain. And so as I seek to make persuasive arguments for the position that I hold and that I'm convicted of from the scripture, it's, it's difficult to do that uh, while maintaining charity. And so probably one of the best ways that I'm going to accomplish that through the course of this podcast is just from time to time, taking an episode to play the devil's advocate, right? To present the other side, um, to offer whatever, um, you know, whatever commending words I can to the opposing side. So uh, let me read um, again from something that I've recently written. I titled it A Reasonable Objection, and then I'll conclude with just a, a couple thoughts about unity. So at this point, it must be assumed that when all of this craziness began about two months ago, those who believed that it was the will of God for Christians to forsake the weekly gathering of the saints for an indefinite period of time were either ignorant of the clear teachings of Scripture, in which case grace and love should be extended provided that there is repentance, or they must possess some other biblical text in order to adequately justify their position. I firmly believe that the most legitimate biblical argument against churches gathering in the midst of this crisis is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, namely the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And I believe that the sixth commandment, when cross-referenced with biblical case law, I addressed this a few episodes back, found in Exodus chapter 21, verse 28 through 29, which addresses uh, the issue of personal liability in the case of a human death resulting from negligence, provided that the negligent individual has been sufficiently and properly warned, right? Um, I believe that this provides Exodus 20, 13, the sixth commandment, and then 21, 28, and 29. It talks about liability in regards to negligence when a person's been warned. I believe these two texts together provides a strong argument for why churches should postpone their Lord's Day gatherings um, during this season. Now, I think, to be fair, I've already addressed this, but I think the primary argument that these two texts make is for churches being very careful in the manner in which they gather. I don't think the strongest argument is actually churches shouldn't gather at this time. I think the strongest argument, by far, 
is churches should gather and they should do so very carefully. But someone could use these texts and they could try to make some kind of argument about uh, why churches should not gather at all, especially when you take in, there is a contextual piece here, uh, namely each local congregation, right? If you're a pastor and the church that you're pastoring, uh, the average age of your congregant is 87 years old, right? And they, they can't just go out in the field and sit down on picnic blankets, you know? And uh, if they go in the building, um, I mean, these are some of the people who, you know, the demographic that is most vulnerable, physically vulnerable to the virus. Well, then, yeah, from, from the Sixth Commandment, Exodus 2013, and then from biblical case law, speaking to negligence, after being warned, Exodus 21, 28 through 29, a pastor who pastors a, an, an elderly congregation, I think, uh, I, I would have virtually zero pushback for that guy. I would just come tip my hat, you know, give him a salute and say, yeah, man, we'll see you on the other side. I understand. I understand why you're not gathering at this time. Whereas my church, the average congregant is like 32, right? So for us, it's like, let's, I mean, we can all hike up a mountain while carrying our children and, you know, meet, you know, <laughs> spread out. Twice. You know, it's just, there's, we just have different options. Um, and so there is, I just want to be, as I'm seeking to be charitable, one of the ways that we can be charitable is by being fair, being fair. And I think one way to be fair um, is by just acknowledging, so I want to be careful to do that, just acknowledging that there is undoubtedly a contextual piece in this whole, in this whole argument, like namely your specific congregation, pastor. How old are they? How, how healthy are they? Where are you located? You know, there's just a lot of factors. If you're talking about an outdoor service and you know, the contextual piece of, you know, like you know, a couple months ago when all this first happened, if you were in North Dakota, you know, it was cold, freezing outside. There's just a lot of factors to take into account. So there is a contextual, um, there is a contextual piece to this whole thing. So that being said, um, apart from some of those contextual exceptions like an elderly congregation or weather or whatever it might be you know maybe being in a place where it's you know seattle it's constantly raining or something like that apart apart from some of those contextual pieces i do believe that the sixth commandment exodus 2013 and then biblical case law cross-reference with biblical case law of exodus 21 28 through 29 uh, talking about an ox right if an ox escapes you know, and it goes and it gores someone unto death and the ox is stoned, but the, you know, the owner of the ox is not liable unless if the ox has been pre-accustomed to gore in the past, the owner has been sufficiently warned and he does not, the owner does not keep the ox in and the ox then gets out and gores someone unto death, then the owner will also be stoned. Not only the ox, but the owner. He will be held liable. He will receive the death penalty. His, his negligence that resulted Right in the death of someone else, he is treated as though he is a murderer, uh, because because his negligence in in the midst of being knowledgeable, in the midst of being warned. Right, so we've been warned about the virus. Uh, one thing that's confusing is we've received a lot of different warnings that tend to contradict one another. But you know, masks are bad. You know, masks are good. You know, but but by and large, we've been warned about the virus. We've been warned about you know to some degree of its severity. Um, certainly differing opinions, but we know that the virus is highly contagious and that it can result in the death of, of people, especially those who have pre-existing medical conditions and who are elderly. So, um, 
based off of Sixth Commandment, Exodus 20:13, and Biblical Case Law, Exodus um, 21, 28 through 29. Negligence, liability, after being warned. We could say that um, there is an argument that could be presented against churches gathering at this time uh, because we've been warned and because we don't want to do anything that by way of negligence would, um, would not esteem human life, that would allow for someone um, to possibly die with a contagious disease that is proving to be lethal for some. However, again, my position would be that 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 sixth commandment really is an argument for just not forsaking the gathering, but gathering extra carefully, being extra diligent in the manner in which we gather is in regards to our circumstances of worship, while not forsaking the substance of our worship. However, that assumes there is that contextual piece. That the exception that assumes that we can adjust and tweak and pivot all these circumstances of our worship, which assumes um, probably a young and healthy congregation rather than an elderly congregation with pre-existing conditions. So there, there are some exceptions to all of this. So let, let me go ahead and continue now. So from these two texts, an argument can be fairly made that because the American people have been sufficiently warned about the dangers of COVID-19, we are each held liable in the sight of God for any negligent actions we commit that may result in the death of another human being. All right. Um, some pastors may decide that means biblically we should not meet at all. Other pastors such as myself uh, will say that that means uh, we should meet, even if it means going against the state, uh, but we should meet with prudence and carefulness, um, and part of that is determined by our convictions and our understanding of the scripture, um, which I believe there are right and wrong answers, because God doesn't speak in the scripture out of both sides of his mouth, and we're not relativists. But, however, I think part of it also does um, depend on circumstances, age of your congregation. And with things like that, I am uh, more than willing, I just want to go on record, more than willing to be sympathetic. So, however, before we're using these texts, right, Exodus 20 and Exodus 21, as the biblical support for a decision, uh, I'm trying to speak more so to the church member now, not the pastor, but individual Christian. Before using these biblical texts as support for a decision to abstain from the gathering with the saints, a person must be genuinely persuaded that the manner in which their local church, because right, we're talking about you now, Christian, whether or not you should go to church, you need to be persuaded that the manner in which your local church is choosing to gather is more physically dangerous than other reasonable actions which you, which the government has deemed as essential and that you personally have engaged in. Such as, have you gone to Costco recently? Have you gone to Home Depot? All right. If so, is your local church that you're considering whether or not to attend, are they meeting in a manner that is at least as safe as the other activities which our government has deemed as being essential that you personally have engaged in? That's the question. So as we have already discovered, the Christians simply cannot conclude from the scripture, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, that church is less essential than any of these other activities. And as we have also discovered, the argument from Romans 13 alone is not sufficient. Therefore, 
In order to righteously forsake the gathering of the saints, a person's conscience must be bound that the manner in which their local church is choosing to gather is legitimately more dangerous than other activities that this person has chosen to engage in. If this is the case, the person could then fairly argue from the sixth commandment that the threat to the body due to the potential spread of the virus at church outweighs the threat to the soul due to forsaking the gathering of the saints for a prolonged period of time. All this being said, as I have made clear several times to my own congregation, I want to make clear here as well, there is still at least one exception to all of this. I've already kind of hinted at it so far in this episode, but just to make it very plain. Those who are physically vulnerable, that is the elderly and those with pre-existing medical conditions, and those who live or have close interaction with the physically vulnerable, they have ample biblical support for, for abstaining from the Lord's Day gathering until the present crisis is further resolved. However, even in this case, this assumes that these individuals are being honest and consistent. In other words, even someone who is elderly, physically vulnerable, or someone who lives with someone who is elderly, physically vulnerable, if they maintain that they cannot attend church, but they are engaging in other activities that possess a similar degree of risk for contracting the virus, then by way of their actions, this person is displaying the fact that they truly believe that the other activities they are choosing to engage in are more essential than meeting with the risen Christ on the Lord's day. Again, in a spirit of charity, we will assume that any such person who is making these kinds of decisions is acting in ignorance rather than blatant rebellion against God. And that is charity. We are charitably assuming, it's like saying they're ignorant doesn't sound charitable. Well, when the alternative to ignorance is blatant rebellion, then ignorance is very charitable. And so we're assuming ignorance. So as a final thought on this point, it is worth noting that my own church canceled I want to just be clear about this because I've had some people asking, well, what about your church? What have you done? Uh, My own church canceled six of its Lord's Day gatherings, despite my strong position on the subject. Believe it or not, I actually think it was biblically right for us to cancel our Lord's Day gatherings for the first few weeks. I don't know about six, but for the first few weeks of COVID-19. This is precisely because of the legitimacy of the opposing view, which stems from the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder, a.k.a. the heart of that, thou shalt esteem human life, the sanctity of human life. See, when the coronavirus first came on the scene, it was extremely unclear how deadly the virus actually was. Therefore, as far as we knew, me and my other elders and deacons at the time, the threat to the body due to the virus really could have been substantially greater than the threat to the soul due to forsaking the Lord's Day gathering for a few weeks. Due to this possibility, It seemed as though the scripture's command not to forsake the gathering needed to, for a time, take a back seat, if you will, to another scriptural command, namely the command to esteem human life. However, two things began to happen, right? There's two big, well, there's just two big pieces of data, if you will. Two things happened simultaneously. Number one, more data regarding the actual risk of the virus was collected. And as we have seen time and time again, the virus is not as lethal as we originally thought. 
it's it's not the virus is not killing 5%, 4%, 3%, 2.5%, 2 2%, 1%. As far as we can tell, you know, it's 0.6 to 0.9 was somewhat reason. And now it seems as though it may be even lower than that. It may be more, like not that 0.9 range, but more of that 0 0.4, 0 0.5, 0 0.6 range. And not only that, but unlike the Spanish flu, it really was not a respecter of persons, if you will, right? It would just take out that 30-year-old and take out that 80-year-old. You know, the coronavirus, however, um, that 0.6% death rates that we're still unsure about because we need to ramp up testing. Um, but the more and more data we gain, the lower and lower that, that death rate number gets. And, and even that death rate it's absolutely, from the data we have, fair to say that the lion's share of that 0.6% comes from those who with pre-existing medical conditions and those who are elderly. And so by inviting those people in those categories to stay home, the rest of the church can gather with a very, very low risk. Very low risk. So again, my church missed six weeks, six Lord's Days. The first three, I would say, three or four maybe, we missed because we were still determining what is the actual risk to the body, physically, um, from the virus. And as time has gone on, we, we've gotten more data and we found out, okay, the virus is not as bad as people initially said it was and thought it was. And then another thing has happened. I said two things simultaneously. One, we've gained more data showing us the virus is less lethal than we thought. But two, at the very same time, more Lord's days have gone by and been missed, right? So if we were talking about, you know, this virus kills 5% of the people who contract it without prejudice, children, elderly, across the board, 5%, right? My church has about 150 um, adult members. Let's say two, let's say 200 people, with kids. So, you know, Joel, you do this, uh, 10 people going to be dead. And, and, to ensure that 10 people in your church don't die, you just miss three or four weeks of church? That's a no-brainer. Again, I'm not arguing that church is essential under all and any circumstances. That's a no-brainer. We'd skip church. You skip church for three or four weeks, and 10 people in your church won't die. All right, we're skipping church. Right? But here's the thing. If I find out it's not 5%, it's 0.5%. And it's not just 0.5% across the board, but it's 0.5% of certain individuals, right? That the elderly, and I can ask them to stay home. And even with the elderly, removing the physically vulnerable, I can, I can social distance. We can meet outside and, and we can not, not touch the same surfaces and we can wear a mask. And we, like, so now we're talking about, no, it's not 0.5 anymore. It's not 0.5%. It's like 0.05. Well, now we're getting into the realm of like, well, should, should you drive a, a car to church? I mean, we're getting into that realm of risk now. And we're not talking about three or four weeks of church anymore. See, two things have happened. Data from the virus have come in. So we found out, oh, the virus is not quite as lethal as we initially thought. And as time has gone by to get data for the virus, we've also missed more and more Lord's Days. So we're not talking about just missing three weeks of church. Now, now the church in America, especially in states like California, we're, we're discussing missing three months of church. We're discussing missing six months of church. We're discussing the potential of missing um, the majority of church for 2020. 
for, for this entire year. Well, that's a different conversation. You see what, it, you, now all of a sudden, it like, you got to begin to think that through. What's the risk of the virus to the body? What's the risk of missing gathering with the risen Christ on the Lord's day to the soul? And which risk is greater? Well, it depends on the data for the virus, and it depends on the number of Lord's days that we're talking about missing. So our church missed six Lord's days, three or four to determine the data of the virus. Another two or three, because we were trying to figure out just practically, how do we meet? Because the only thing that at the time, even car services were not legal. There were no legal ways for the church to gather in California, in my Soviet state of California. But, however, that being said, um, even once the car service was legal, which literally just happened a couple weeks ago, even once that was legal, we didn't have a parking lot. Just because it was legal, doesn't we, we don't have a church building. We meet in a school. The school's not going to let us use a parking lot. We're a church plant that has existed for five years, and San Diego is outrageously expensive. So we don't. Our church doesn't own a building and a parking lot. We were renting from a school, and so we we were at the mercy of other pastors and other churches and other organizations. Can we use your parking lot? And we were turned down by by several. It took us a while to find a parking lot. We now have a parking lot that we're meeting at, but it took us a little while to find that. And so we're really having to debate practically how can we do this and. We really had to debate um, and determine biblically like what I've previously talked about in the earlier episodes. Is it right for us to rebel against the civil magistrate? We can't get a parking lot, right? Emperor Gavin has said that the parking lot is acceptable, but we can't get a parking lot. And we've already missed four or five weeks of church now for a virus that is proving to be less and less lethal and what people originally said, we're talking about missing a sixth week and a seventh week and an eighth week of the Lord's day, meeting with the risen Christ. And we're, ta- we're not talking about gathering together in a dog pile and, and kissing everybody and shaking hands. We're, we're talking about literally because we don't have a parking lot, we would do that because we don't want to throw unnecessary punches. We're not trying to make some statement and just stick it to the man. We would meet in a parking lot if we could. But, but because we haven't found a parking lot yet, we're talking about meeting outdoors, 20 feet away from one another, with masks, right? with no refreshments, no coffee, no bagels, right? not even using bathrooms. Like, like legitimately, legitimate, literally safer, not as safe, safer than going to the grocery store. We're talking about that, but it's technically illegal. So our elder team, we had to discuss that, we had to talk about that. That's where a lot of these positions come. A lot of what I'm sharing with you is what, what me and my elders figured out from the scripture with regular meetings that were, were frequently going like seven hours long. Trying to figure what's right. What is right? What's right? We determined that it was worth rebelling against the civil magistrate. And so our first week back as a church, um, we didn't yet have a parking lot. We have one now. Uh, but for one week, we had to do an outdoor service. Without the parking lot, we had an illegal, illegal church service, um, and it was probably one of the safest things currently going on in the midst of coronavirus. And the fact that it was illegal um, was frivolous and unconstitutional 
and wrong on the part of our civil magistrate. And so we rebelled in order to be obedient to God and to not forsake the gathering, knowing that we could do it safely. I think that was the right decision. I stand by that decision. I'm proud of our elders in that decision. And we had over half of our church show up. Certainly some of our people did not. They wrestled with that. They struggled with that. Some disagreed with that. But the majority of our church, um, they were persuaded. Um, And they came. And it was amazing. It was a wonderful time worshiping the risen Christ together on the Lord's Day. Our first time in over a month and a half because we had missed so many Lord's Days. So all that being said, I just want to say for the record, our own church, as strong as my position is on this matter, we missed six weeks um, because there actually is an opposing argument from the Sixth Commandment. We could not just say, hey, don't forsake the gathering no matter what until we knew, no, there is a virus and it might prove to be super deadly. And if so, then there is a biblical allowance for forsaking the gathering for a time. And so we consider that. But as time goes by, you got to keep this in mind. Christian, pastor, you got to keep, as time goes by, you're talking about a greater risk to the soul because more and more Lord's days are going by without your people meeting with the risen Christ. And as time goes by, we're getting also, at the very same time, more and more data about the virus. And we're finding how the virus is transmitted. We're finding how lethal it actually is. We're finding that it doesn't affect all people the same. It affects one group of people much more, uh, in a much more deadly manner than it affects others. And so if we can ask this group of our congregation to stay home, and then the rest of us can meet in these ways and not touch the same services and meet outdoors and all this kind of thing, and we can do it with prudence and with safety. Right? And if you can do it legally, right, not just safely, if you can, do it safely and legally. But, but if you're in California, a state like mine, there's only one way to do it legally, a.k.a. the drive-in service where you stay in your car and you don't have anywhere to drive in and you've tried. You can stand before God with a clear conscience and say, I've tried, I can't find a place to drive in. But, but we're not missing another Lord's Day because people's souls are at risk. And we can do this while asking the elderly to stay home and keep 20-foot distance and do it. Do it. Joel, are you encouraging people to to do something illegal? You bet I am. Absolutely. I am encouraging people to do something illegal because, number one, God commands it. It's the right biblical position. Number two, because technically it is still submission to the civil magistrate. Because when it comes to submission to the civil magistrate, we do not live in a monarchy as subjects under a dictator, a monarch, a king. We are citizens, not subjects of a monarchy. We are citizens of a republic. And the highest civil magistrate in our land, by design from our founders, is not a human civil official, but rather a document namely the Constitution of the United States of America. And the last time I checked, the First Amendment is still in that document. And it protects both our freedom to worship and religion and the right to peaceably assemble. And so whatever that lesser civil magistrate, governor, mayor, whatever that lesser tyrannical, draconian, civil magistrate might be saying in your given state 
You are not actually rebelling against the civil magistrate, according to Romans 13, according to God. You're actually submitting to the highest civil magistrate and challenging that lesser civil magistrate who actually is rebelling to be submissive. See, Gavin Newsom is rebelling against his civil magistrate. And so we want to challenge as a church, hey, rebellious, lesser civil magistrate, you need to obey Romans 13 and submit to the higher civil magistrate, namely the Constitution of the United States of America. And if churches are gathering in such a manner, even if it's not a car service, if they're gathering an outdoor service or even an indoor service with plenty of distance, not touching the same services, if, if we can gather in such a way that is equally safe or safer than the other things that you have legally deemed, right, or you have deemed as being legal, like Costco and Home Depot, then for you to say that, that those establishments can do what they're doing and that we can't is actually a breach of the First Amendment and you need to be held accountable. Our, our state had no way for churches to meet, including the drive-in service, until churches fought, until they, until they pushed back. And I think churches need to fight again. The drive-in service, praise God for that. And our church, by God's grace, was able to find a way to do that. But it was hard. We barely found an option. And there are plenty of other churches that are not finding an option, which means they still don't have a legal way to meet, to gather. And it's not just a few weeks at this point. It's been months. It's been, it's been over two months. And we're in the, with no end in sight. Third phase, whatever that is, when's that going to be? That could be January of next year. We don't know. And so at this point, yeah, man, yeah, our church held one illegal service. And I'm proud of it. Our elders determined we will not let one more Lord's Day go by without our people meeting with the risen Lord and receiving from Him the bread of life. Man shall not live by physical bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Our people, our sheep need that word. And as their shepherds, certainly we, we can't take a frivolous risk in putting their physical lives in danger. But we also can't, as shepherds of souls, take the risk of putting their souls at danger. And what we've been able to see from the virus, and how it's contracted, how it's spread, how lethal it actually is, and, and what we've been able to see is how many Lord's Days have already gone by and what other states are allowing for, for churches and all these kind of things. That, like, it, it became a no-brainer for us. Sick and elderly, stay home. Everybody else, it's time to go to church. And the fact that Emperor Gavin um, standing against that I just, just doesn't matter. The Bible allows for Christians to righteously rebel. And that's when Christians are actually righteously rebelling against the whole civil magistrate. In this particular case, as it pertains to American Christians, again, we're not subjects of a monarchy. We are citizens of a republic. So we're not even talking about, we're not even talking about <laughs> rebelling against the civil magistrate. We're literally talking about submission to the true highest civil magistrate, namely the Constitution, over and against lesser civil magistrates who are currently rebelling against their own civil magistrate. So my challenge 
technically isn't even Christians, it's time to rebel against the civil magistrate. My, my challenge is Christians, it's time to submit first to the word of God, second to the highest civil magistrate, namely the constitution. And as you do, do it in such a way that you challenge those lesser civil magistrates who actually are the true rebels, the ones who actually are disobeying Romans 13, encourage them to start obeying. All right, hope that's been helpful. Tune in next time. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.